0: Welcome back to Tiahika, a weekly show providing an insight into te ao the Māori world.
1: My great-grandfather uh, Tota Nihonihor moved down to Te Wai Poonimu, um a long time ago now and so my grandparents and, and down to my father and me were all born down in Ōtautahi. Mum was born in Te she moved down to Christchurch um, well, a long time ago now as well, yes. met my father and had my sisters and I. Uh, my name is from Te Whanua apanui, my first name, which is Maru Haidemuri, uh, and that is a hapu within Te Whanua apanui.
0: Here's the scene. It's the 1980s. The local fish and chip shop is part of the neighbourhood. Inside, the smell of grease fills the air. The sound effects of spacey games adds to the ambience of the place – The clunky machines attract the local kids. A bit of fun for just 40 cents. It was this world inside that clunky Space Invaders game that sparked a young girl's curiosity. Maru, niho niho.
1: I remember the first time I actually I watched someone playing when I was down at the fish and chip shop and I was like, "Whoa, that looks cool (laughs) and I want to have a go. And, and then I did, and that was it. I, I remember looking at these games thinking, my first thought was, how did they make them? In this week's
0: episode of Tiahi Kao we sit down with Maru at her office space in Auckland, where she talks about her life, from experiencing racism at school to working for years in the hospitality industry. But more importantly, she talks about pursuing a career in the gaming industry. Koe at the That's coming up in this week's tia here on RNZ. Born and raised in Christchurch, Maru says it wasn't an easy place to grow up. She lived between Tuahiwi and Christchurch City. Tuahiwi was about whānau, land and the rural experience, whereas Christchurch was about city living and work. It was a place where she felt isolated
1: as Māori. Tuohiwi was where I spent most of my primary school, and, it, and I guess the village of Tuohiwi were full of my whānau, my whanau and there were a lot of kids There that had Māori names and looked like me and we were learning te reo in um, school and doing kapahaka and of course um, growing up around Tuahiri Marae we understood tikanga and Kopapa as well however when we moved back into Christchurch so we were between Tuohiri and Christchurch my schooling experience wasn't very nice I didn't enjoy... um, going back to primary school in Christchurch because nobody looked like me. I was teased for my name. I was teased for the colour of my skin. I was bullied. My first day of school, I got into a fight. I got into trouble. I wasn't the one that started it. And so I'd often say to mum, I want to go back to Tuahiwi. You know, I don't like it in town. And but as it was, that's where the mahi was Mm -hmm. in town, and so I grew up um, between both. It was um, yeah quite different. So I think that's helped me a lot now. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up between two worlds um, at a young age, because when I decided to get into business, um, I understood that concept of I I suppose being between two worlds. And I remember saying to mum. You know, when I was younger, why did you give me a big, long name? Because nobody can say it, or they tease me, or they change it. So I was called Mary and Marie, mm-hmm. and on purpose. And, you know, to her credit, she was always very supportive and helping me to be confident in who I am. Mm-hmm. And saying to me that, you know, your name, you know, who you're named after is really special and just always remember that. And at a young age, you kind of think, yeah, 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 yeah. But as I've grown up, I really understand, you know, what she meant and how she was trying to teach me and show me that it's OK, babe, you're going to get this in life. Mm. Just kia kaha and be strong. But I guess I, I don't know, I guess I became resilient to, to those things. And I learned to let those remarks slide and just, you know, try and understand um, my place in the world, you know, at that time you know, and and just know who you are and where you're from and you'll be okay so yeah, she's right. As a child you would um, play, you were into what we call as
0: space invaders and if you're a kid of the of the 80s and 70s, uh, you know, spaces with the big clunky machines, usually in dairies or fish and chip shops. And so what kind of drew you into those sorts of games as a young as a young
1: girl? I remember the first time I actually I watched someone playing yeah. when I was down at the fish and chip shop, and I was like, ooh, that looks cool, <laughs> and I want to have a go. And, and then I did, and that was it. I, I remember looking at these games thinking... My first thought was how did they make them? And I and that stuck with me for years, how do they make these games? Because what it did was you play these games and you get immersed in that world that you're in. But it was I think another way to sort of um I guess put myself in a world that was taking myself out of a world I was in. Right. You know, it was like an it's escape. It was an escape, yep. yeah. And I think you know being without Farno, close Farno in town, um, so I think games were yeah a form of escape for me as well. So how did she do it? Well, from those big, clunky, spacey
0: games in her local fish and chip shop to running a game design and development company, Muddy describes her journey as never being easy or on the straight and narrow. It was more like a zigzag line with a few bumps along the way.
1: The typical path would be while I'm at school, study the subjects relevant to games and game design or development, which is, could be math, science, physics, yeah. um, art, technical drawing, um, or computer studies. Um, by this stage, high school for me um, started at Kashmir High in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Mum got a job transfer with Māori Affairs at that time up to Lower Hutt. Yes. Right. So my schooling went from Kashmir High School to Taita College. But by that stage, I think I had become quite disconnected with education because I thought I was doing well at school, especially in subjects where that I enjoyed. But, you know, after... Uh, getting assessment results back and, and, you know, exam results back. I could see that, well, hang on, this mark on my paper isn't reflecting how much I'm enjoying the subject. Oh. And and I thought, oh, well, what's the point? It was when my sixth form year started, and I thought, oh, I need to find a job. I don't want to go through another year of school. Oh, so you couldn't leave until you got the job. Yeah, yes. That was yeah. mum's thing. Yeah, she was yeah. like, I don't want you to leave until. And then, and then I got a job. yeah. Um, it was a voluntary job, though, um, in, in the local op shop. But they said that I could help myself to some, you know, clothes or whatever that comes in. And, and of course, mum wasn't happy about it, but she just knew that I was going to leave. And so that was my very first job. And that was the beginning of my career, I suppose, in retail and hospitality, And so my next job after that was um, waitressing in a restaurant Mm. in the Hutt Valley. From then on, um, staying in hospitality, working my way up to bartender when I was old enough to serve alcohol, bar manager, eventually restaurant manager. And when I came up to Auckland, moved up to Auckland, met my husband and we had our own place. Yeah, so we decided to open a place of ourselves and um, carry on. So we had a few over the years. Wow. And, um, but I always knew that there was something more, I just didn't know what it was. And I was still playing games right through these years. So I was still a gamer, I was still playing. And, but you know, working all those years in hospitality, I knew that wasn't for me. Babe in arms and controller <laughs> in the hands and <laughs> sitting there playing the PlayStation. And in those moments where Babe was having a sleep, um, I'd jump on the PlayStation and then, you know, he'd wake up and it was all baby time then. Um, so it wasn't a surprise to him that, to hear that I wanted to make games um, because he knew I enjoyed playing them. Yeah, so... But it was a surprise to him when I took it seriously. Okay. You know, when I actually started making the moves towards setting up how I was going to approach doing that. Yeah. Because no experience, apart from playing games, um, no experience in making them or anything, so I had to learn from scratch. Uh, so at that time I put myself through a one year diploma in multimedia because that was the closest thing I could find to game design. I looked and there was no game design courses so I I thought I'll find the next best thing. This and was the early, mid 2000s? What, what This f- would have been in 2002. Right, so we're going about yeah. 17 years ago. Yeah. And my both, I had two children by that stage both were I think two and four and they were at Kohanga and so it was such a juggle to get to my course, drop them at Kohanga, pick them up, go to Whanahui, <laughs> and everything else. I was like, whoa, and then I'm trying to learn to deal myself. Um, but it was such a, a, a juggle, and, and, and at that stage, my husband was like trying to help where he could, you know, pick them up. But of course, he's running the restaurant mm-hmm. and everything else, so it was really, really hard. Um, but I finished that course, still didn't know how to make a game. It was just like the basics of things that I needed to know. So to get that information and find out more, I had to take myself overseas. So I had to go to these game conferences in LA and San Francisco and Australia and sit there like a sponge and listen to people talking about who your customers are, how do you make games, what kind of engines are available. And I thought to myself while I was sitting there, oh, if I want to make games, I'm going to have to really listen hard. (laughs) So I did that for probably about a year Mm. of just heading to these events and learning. But at the same time, I thought, well, I have a game idea in mind. I'm going to try and pitch this at the same time, you know, and see how I go. And because I had this self-belief that I can do it, you know, I can do this, I can do this. I just need a chance to learn. And it wasn't happening. Was there ongoing rejection yes. leading up to that point? It was um, an incredible amount of rejection. <laughs> it was um, to the, the point very, of... like, if this doesn't work, you know, this is, you're feeling quite down about. Oh. I, I did. It was expensive. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't get any funding. I literally used credit cards and fun- and savings that I had. Mm. I maxed out my credit card, my mum's credit card, my husband's credit card, Um, (laughs) used all my savings. It was expensive to travel, accommodation, to have a booth as well. So I thought to myself, this isn't happening, it's not working, what am I going to do? So I thought, I, I guess I took that step back and thought, what do you need to do to be in this industry? And the first thing is you need to have a published title, So I thought the one I was pitching, Guardian, um, was too big, no one's going to give me the money. So I had to rethink what my idea would be, and that's when I came up with the cube idea. Way smaller, cost a lot less, and then I started pitching that, and I got my first publishing deal. Um, But when I got home, yeah, he had sent an email through and asked how much money do I need, to build this game, how long is it going to take, here's an agreement, get your lawyer to check it, and at that point I was like, oh, oh, is this real?
0: (laughs) Initially, Maru's idea was called Guardian, a large-scale Māori-inspired game with characters and backstories, but required a lot of money to design and build. Cube, however, was a smaller concept—a pick up and play puzzle game. And as Maru describes it, Cube got her foot in the door. The yeah. gaming industry at this point, twenty
1: nineteen, is—it's uh, a billion yeah. dollar industry, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, combined—if um, you, know, you combine film, television, and music—it's bigger than them all. So it's and it's global. It's every country. It's accessible, highly accessible now with mobile. And it's changed a lot uh, since I started Meteor, whereas in my days it was console, PlayStation, Xbox, uh, Nintendo. Now it's multiple, multiple devices, mobile devices and all sorts of things. Different business models as well, kind of hard to keep up. I mean, especially when mobile came along and um, a typical model before was you'd have an idea, you'd pitch that to a publisher, a publisher would fund you and fund the marketing for it, and then you will get paid uh, through royalty. Um, now it's you can self-publish, but now you've got to take care of the marketing yourself as well, if you're going to self-publish.
0: In 2003, she founded her company, Metia Interactive. She has a small team of staff and a number of projects on the go. The game Sparks, for example, is a self-help e-therapy tool and was a collaboration between Metia and the University of Auckland all about mental health and well-being. And then there's other interactive games that work with Fitbit to encourage fitness. And yes, Guardian Maya, some 17 years later, that first game she had in mind all those years ago, is now in production. Here, Maru talks about the business side of Metia Interactive.
1: We're having to learn how to market for the sake of our own games, getting out there, if we don't go through a publisher. Um, so it's a different business model and something that is um, I wasn't expecting. There are different avenues to the market. The mobile there's uh, serious gaming um, yes. such as Sparks, the, the game that I designed for mental health for our rangatai, um which is through organisations. There's e training type games, you know, to teach bank tellers how to be customer focused. There's uh, e therapy. There's all sorts, all sorts of different ways you can get games out there and on all sorts of different platforms. So I wanted to kind of branch off and talk about um,
0: te reo Māori, um, maru, and this idea that as people access information differently and through different platforms, how you visualise Māori and, say in the last 10 years, Māori language or language revitalisation and technology and gaming. Do you see
1: opportunities there? We haven't made a te reo game ourselves yet. In fact, i would like to, just so I can learn more myself. Yes. Um, but we have translated our games into te reo. Yes. So we haven't made one that'll teach it, but we've translated our current projects to te reo Māori. But the opportunities there mm. for others to do that and use the technology of the day to do that is huge. You know, I mean, just everyone's on a smartphone. Even using platforms like Instagram, Facebook to reach rangatahi, you know, by thinking of what the technology can do for us, you know, for our language and for everything else and thinking of creative ways to put that forward because a lot of, uh, from what I know, a lot of our um, rangatahi, say the 13 to 17-year-olds in that age group, the, the younger ones won't learn the same way as them. So you have to like step your developments and not necessarily just in age groups too because sometimes what a... 12-year-old plays is not what a 13-year-old likes to play as well and I think the technology gives you the way to do that, you know, to be able to scale and in terms of, say, we want to teach te reo Māori level 1 or level 2, level 3, but if we wanted to get more specific, you know, not just have it in one programme, but to split it out across different platforms mm. like rangatahi who are mainly on social, uh, on social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat it could be different Way of teaching to te deal. Um, I play games like Candy Crush because that's all I have time for now. This is a little tiny. Games I went like through <laughs> the phase of Candy Crush, but then I just kept on.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm over it now. This <laughs> is getting too hard. Yes. So my sister's still playing it five years on, and oh, sounds like <laughs> me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see that that is interesting. So how can so the melding of in particular what people want is. Through the different age groups mm. and Mori culture and revitalisation. I'm only mentioning this because, you know, Māori language is branching into video online, Facebook pages, podcasts,
1: even. So, is gaming, do you think gaming is a, there's a bit of a gap there? There's an opportunity for sure. Um, currently, like, as I said before, most of our games are just stri- mm. straight translated. Mm. So, you won't learn te reo. Um, well, you can be forced to if you play in te reo, then you'll have to know how to yes. control the game. A way to sort of teach te reo through gaming, um, that's a huge opportunity when you look at online worlds, you know, kids' games where you have to, like Roblox or those type of games where um, it's all in English. There's an opportunity there, like I believe it's happening in Minecraft, you know, to get that in te reo Maori so our um, tamariki can play, not just play it in te reo but learn te reo along the way like um, start changing the words within the gaming environment um, it's kind of what I'm doing with Guardian Um Maya so it doesn't teach te reo but all the words that are in reo in that game for example fare or taiaha, um are as they are so it's all in English except for particular words that stay in Maori pa um mm. And that they are just, there at words. And if you want to learn what it is, you tap on the word and it will show the explanation of what a par is, a fortified um, hilltop village or whatever. And and so we thought, no, let's not replace Maya goes to her par with Maya goes to her fortified village. You know, just keep it as par. And if they want Want to know, know, then they click on that and they'll find out more. You know, what is the meaning of that and then they'll know, oh, I know what a pā is yes. you know, Māori or, or non-Māori they'll know what a pā is and so I guess that's my small way at this point of time to get te reo through and try and make it um, well, not try and make it mainstream but just it's there and this is what it is <sighs> Have you thought about tackling um Maui? There are so many and the the thing is with the Maui stories they're different they versions. Are. They are, they are. <laughs> and I, I was, was gonna like, say that actually <laughs> It's like which version should we do? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I've kind of stayed away from a little bit from using mythology yeah. because there are different versions of the same story and it's like, well which version should I do? Mm. Should I do all of them? Or should you know and it, it's kind of like not saying I wouldn't, it's just that if I am going, going to, to go down that route yeah, then. Then I'm gonna make sure I do it the right way, the best way I possibly can and tell the story of uh whatever it is, you know, so it it's okay. Yes. It's not gonna be like what is she doing? Telling that story? <laughs> that's wrong. That's wrong, and that's wrong. Yeah. Oh my gosh! You know, yeah. and then I'm just like, it's almost like being yeah. on a movie
0: set. AA, yeah, you have the kind of like, the people of who have that expertise to go. Well, actually, no, that's not right. That person wouldn't say that, and they wouldn't wear this particular tharmical
1: design. So we're going through a big thing at the moment with designing Guardian Mai's... 3D world. Yes. Cuz we've got the interactive fiction out there now, which is the backbone of the story, and we're doing exactly even though it's fictional, you know, but still I'm working with Maori themes and cultural themes in there that I have to be that I'm really aware of, that I have I want to be and have to be very respectful mm-hmm. on the way it's portrayed, mm-hmm. you know, in the storytelling and in the future 3D game that's being built now um, and you know right down to things like par and making sure that, that is right because that's going to be built in a 3D world and we want to make sure that the elements within that par is as correct as possible yeah. to what they were back in in the day yes. you know and although there were many types of different par there's there, there are elements of a par which didn't change. So busy year ahead, Maru. Very busy year ahead, yep. Oh I look forward to Christmas holiday. <laughs> Hopefully this year. <laughs> Didn't have one last year, but I, I think I'll have one this year. Are you still going to those conferences? I haven't been to a gaming conference for about six years. It was maybe oh. seven years okay. now, um, only locally in New Zealand. And I thought, I don't know whether that was because I'd been jaded so much on <laughs> travelling, and, and I don't want I don't to do need it. You guys anymore, <laughs> <here. laughs> <laughs> or, or if it's like yeah, or if it was that so, I don't need you guys anymore. <laughs> but but I haven't been for quite some time, so um, I might venture over next year because I think it would be important. At, by that time, um, the 3D version of Guardian Maya will be well underway, so it would be good to sort of get it out to the international stage. Tena koe
0: Maru Nihon niho no te apanui te founder of Metia Interactive, a game development and design company. For more information about Maru and, of course, her company Metia Interactive, you can head to our website rnz.co.nz forward slash where we've posted up some useful links. If you'd like to get in touch with the show you can of course email tiahikaa at rnz.co.nz Koera tātātou nei hōtaka wiki. Ko te tūmina ko noho oropai e kaito Join Tiahikaa next Sunday. Hei kona mai.
1: Feather. Sharp across the game flow like falling